You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sivya Kohn. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am here with Tafarit Sprung and Sarah Silvestri, who are the founders of Executive Arm. And I'm really excited for today's conversation. I think that they have a lot of really cool stuff to tell us. So I'm going to dive right in. Tafarit and Sarah, can you please introduce yourselves? Hi, thank you so much for having us on. I am Tifera Blang, and um, I'm also here with Sarah. Hi, thank you so much. We're really excited. So tell me a little bit about your background. How did you each respectively get into this space? Sure. So back in 2020, I was working on a portfolio for data analytics, and Sarah was working at a shul near me, at a synagogue near us. And I just asked if I could play around with their data and see kind of what we could do with it um, and if we could find anything interesting. And it really is from there. From there, I just thought this is awesome. I wonder if we could bring something like this to nonprofits, help nonprofits see that using your data can really maximize your potential and maximize kind of best business practices. And I had an idea and I spoke to Sarah about it. That's really uh, how I got into it. Sarah, what's your background? So I've been working in the nonprofit sector for about 18 years now. I began really more, I would say, in a volunteer role. When I got married and moved to Chicago, I was kind of not sure what I wanted to do. I was really not at the point where I needed to necessarily have a full-time job. And I really felt like, let me try going into the nonprofit sector and seeing if this is what something I enjoy, because I've done it on a volunteer basis. And it's very different when you were obviously working it professionally. And from there, I kind of, it kind of grew and I've held a lot of different managerial positions and fundraising positions and more development versus more administrative roles. But ultimately, when T-Ferret came to me and pitched this idea, it really resonated with me because a lot of issues that I have saw firsthand working in the field really with executive arm really will enabled us to kind of create a map of what really we could solve and really be for nonprofits. So tell me a little bit more about what Executive Arm is and does. What problem were you trying to solve? Sure. So the problem that we were trying to solve is something that I was seeing personally, like through my network of people who were working in nonprofits, including my husband, who's in nonprofits, and, and Sarah, we were kind of seeing the same thing as a trend, which was that nonprofits have all of the, especially like the small to medium-sized nonprofits have these amazing goals. They're all in it to do something phenomenal and change the world in their corner with their passion. And just as many nonprofits face, they don't always have the staff to get where they need to go. They don't always have the budget to get where they need to go. And, you know, I felt like I came with a certain skill set and Sarah is a beast in it of itself. And I just thought if we partnered up together, we could really take this on and see if there's some way that we can provide a service to allow nonprofits that are either keeping pace and staying where they are or even struggling if we could get them to the next phase and where they want to be. Tell a little bit that what, what the services look like. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to add, um, I think something that's also very important is in the nonprofit sector versus the for-profit sector, there is this like distinction like, oh, I, I, I can't look at myself as a business. But something that really I felt was lacking and really where this executive arm kind of came in is bringing that professionalism 
to the nonprofit sector and really using the same skills and strategies as within a business structure in a for-profit sector to the nonprofit sector. And it really lent ourselves in terms of like what we do. We have so many amazing, talented people part as part of our team. And we offer anything from administrative help to fundraising help to marketing to like bookkeeping, really a plethora of what you would need in within your nonprofit. And because we understood the task that monetarily budget was always the biggest issue for any nonprofit, our goal was to be able to bring these high level professionals to the nonprofit sector at a very cost effective price where you could invest in executive arm and invest in the help and be able to afford people that you would never be able to afford full time in your nonprofit. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So is there an ideal client, an ideal stage, let's say of a nonprofit or category that you work with? I mean, I think we really work with a whole gamut because as Sarah was saying, we really offer so many different things from backend admin to strategic planning. So it's really in the clients that we work with, it really is super varied. I would say that our ideal client is really somebody who is in the nonprofit world and is an incredible visionary and really wants to grow and really wants to do things and is also able to understand that the passion takes you to an amazing place and then you still need the business and support. You still need somebody who has the, as Sarah was saying, in our team, we have a variety of professionals and high-level professionals that can really bring something large to a nonprofit and a client that can kind of understand that while maybe they don't have the ability within their staff to provide that, somebody being able to bring that in and being able to invest in that can kind of pay it back in triple fold. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. So what would you say are the common challenges that clients reach out to you about? Like, what are you, what are they dealing with that they hope you can help them with? So I would say, like, I think the biggest challenge is knowing what they need, right? Everybody has in their minds, you know, here's the 10 things I just need to get off my desk and then I'll be able to, you know, implement X, Y, and Z and grow our bottom line and really create something bigger. But in reality, it's really doing that soul searching and really investing in the time to figure out what are your goals and are the, and how can you quantitatively reach those goals and what are the metrics you need to put into place to truly understand if you're, those are your true goals or they're really not. And they're just, you know, they're being kind of hidden under your, your larger vision. And I think that's where we, because we're not, as much as we're part of your nonprofit and we become, you know, truly invested in your nonprofit, because we're an outside firm, it allows us to have that kind of perspective without the emotional attachment that enables us to really say, like, let's see the bigger picture. Here's what you're saying your goals are, but here's what we see you're, you're doing. And it might be that eventually you'll, you'll reach your goal. But right now, that's six, eight, maybe two years out. And that's okay. But let's all understand that, like, that's not really what you're accomplishing. So I think part of the, the benefit of having a firm that's outside of your nonprofit is you're able to get different perspectives. And as much as we're emotionally invested, it's not our baby, right? It's not something that we live and breathe 24-7. So at times when 
you need to make those harsh or really tough decisions. It's easier for an outside firm to be able to guide you and say, you know, actually, let's think about this differently. Yeah, I like what you're saying a lot. I think a lot of nonprofit leaders are just very, very passionate and very caring people and saying no does not come naturally to them. So kind of leads them on a trail of one to the next. But I, I think he said it like the larger goals are hidden, something like that. I think that that sums it up really, really well, because that is definitely a challenge I, I've spotted. So in terms of I'm just thinking about nonprofits that I very commonly encounter, they hit this like point where they're growing fairly quickly in the sense that the need that they service is large, but the financial aspect and the operations aspect, they, you know, they just have a really hard time catching up on that side of things. So at this point, we're like, there's a lot of people that need them, need their help, very minimal resources, very little that they can invest. What would you advise at that point? Like, where, where can they start and say, okay, we need to scale, we need to get serious about this, but we have very little to invest? So I think that a really good way to look at it is somebody would need to sit down and really make a plan. So where do they want to go? Why do they want to get there? Because as Sarah was saying, a lot of times they they have a goal in mind and the action items that they're taking, it's like zigzagging them because they're having one person who says we need this and then one board member who says we need this and you're kind of not really attaining that goal. And sometimes they don't even see that. So sitting down and knowing why they're getting there will really help along the way figure out where can we make compromises? Where can we not make compromises? And then you need to think about how you're going to get there and how you're going to get there. There's really two options, right? There's like a time money scale and like where you lay on that time money scale is going to depend on the resources that you have. So either you have the ability to put in a ton of time, in which case you don't need to put in a ton of money because maybe you can then say, okay, my staff is going to take over X and I'm really going to do A through X because I'm, I'm in college. I'm taking two classes. I, I'm in my early 20s. I can stay up through the night and just really like get it done. Or maybe you, you don't have that amount of time because you're already running, as you said, a nonprofit that's already in a, a growth phase. So you don't have that time. So we have to figure out how can we get where you need to go without that time. Is it the money that we can invest? Are there other volunteers that we can that are untapped? Do you have volunteers that you're using? I don't want to say incorrectly, but or you're utilizing your volunteers in a way that's most effective to you and most effective towards your goals, or are your volunteers, you're just kind of delegating the tasks as they come in. So once you can kind of look at like your time and your money and, and your volunteers as kind of within that, then you can figure out the best next step forward. And that's often the first thing that we do with a client, even before we onboard them, is figuring out exactly where they are in that scale and exactly where they should be and figuring out the best way to get them there because that's really the first step to moving forward on that map or success. I also think it's important that even though there's limited resources, just like with a business, you need to invest in order for it to grow, right? And while you might be a visionary and you might have a, a thousand people that you could be serving, but you actually aren't serving them because you're not investing in the back end of, of your of your nonprofit. And I think that's it's a really large fallacy for working in nonprofits. Always the question was asked when people are donating, well, how much of this is going to your administrative staff versus how much is actually going to nonprofit? And I think we need to do a better job in the nonprofit sector to bolster the importance of having the operation and the administration aspect of it as as important 
as what you're doing, maybe not to the same level, but at least bringing up the level of importance and investment because part of the reason the nonprofit sector is where it is today, especially I would say within Jewish nonprofits, is because people don't want to invest their money in keeping the lights on. They want to invest their money in what their vision is. Well, that's great. But in order for you to do your vision, you need lights, right? You need resources. You need help. And especially nowadays where the world is so quick and with social media ever changing every five minutes, you need to keep you know, with the times and nonprofits are being really challenged to keep up in terms of marketing and in terms of how their nonprofit delivers, whether it's an event or it's a crowdfunding campaign, whatever it is, they need to look the same as businesses that are for profit, but they don't have the same resources. So we're the expectations versus the investment are so far at this point that really our goal as a management firm is to kind of bridge that gap a little bit more. And where we come in is that with a management firm, yeah, it's an investment, but it's not an investment like you would have to invest, let's say, with a COO or, you know, a high level admin. You can do a, it's a much lower level investment, but you're getting that professionalism. The for-profit sector basically understands and lives and breathes. So it's so important that like, yes, we have to look at it and try to figure out and be strategic of where to invest. But we also have to change the narrative. And I think that's from like a, a perspective of the world. Like we need to start, you know, when people challenge nonprofits and say, why are you spending X money on your administration? They have to know why. And part of the reason they don't know why is because they haven't invested. But part of it is they haven't strategized. They're not visioning. There's not a plan. And that's really where we come in because part of your board not investing or you're in your admin also is do they see the, the fruit of your labor? And if they can physically, quantitatively see that, then your nonprofit's going to grow leaps and bounds. And whatever you invest in your admin and your back end is going to be so much more fruitful in the end. And you're going to be able to prove that to your board, to your donors professionally. Right. From the smallest thing of the admin answering emails in a professional and kind and courteous way, as opposed to in a rushed and stressed way, because quite frankly, most admins and nonprofits are rushed and stressed. And it's because everybody in a nonprofit is wearing 500 hats. And if you're wearing 500 hats, you don't have the time and the mental space to sit down and compose a beautiful thank you note when somebody donates money. And you know what? They might not donate the same amount of money next year if they don't feel appreciated. So these things that are considered small in terms of like, I can just have X do it. It's fine. We already have them on staff. They'll just take that on. If they're not doing it the proper way and they're not doing it in a way that's really going to serve the nonprofit, then unfortunately, your nonprofit might not be able to grow because even those things that are considered like small, minor tasks have a huge impact on how the nonprofit is perceived by the people who already have buy-in. And the people who already have buy-in are like they're there. Like, let's keep them engaged. Let's keep them feeling appreciated and feeling like this love warmth that every time I give my hard-earned money to this nonprofit, I know that it's appreciated and I know it's going, even if it's going to keep the lights on, it's keeping the lights on to people who are doing the right things. Any of them were actually, as you're speaking of remembering, visiting a nonprofit that I knew to be a national organization, like really well-known. And I had a meeting there and I went into the office and there was like a tiny little hole in the wall with like the old computers, like with the big CPU. And I was like, what, what is actually going on? Like, this is 
terrifying. And it's a sad reality for a lot of nonprofits that, you know, they, they put on a good show for the world, but like the infrastructure is non-existent. And it really, it, I think it really holds them back in a lot of ways. And I think the onus is on the organization, not necessarily to say, you know, we need you to help us build our infrastructure, but to build trust. Because if I trust this organization is doing amazing work and I give my donation, I know that they're going to do great things with it. And I don't care if they're paying the janitor. It doesn't matter. My contribution is helping them change the world in some aspects. I don't need to get involved. I'm, if I buy an iPhone, I'm not asking Apple what percentage of the money they spent went on their like, where? I don't care. I want the product. So I think organizations have to get a lot better about telling people what their product is so that the investment in them would be such a hard sell. But I think that the services that you're offering are really, really vital. I was wondering as you're speaking, if there is kind of like an indicator or a characteristic of the nonprofits that you work with that make them more set up for a successful partnership with you than others. I think for me, really the indication is really how open they are to hearing feedback and really how open they are to working together and building that trust. Obviously with any firm or outside company that comes in, there's a little bit of weariness, like A, with the staff, B, with the you know board. You know, you're coming in, you're trying to implement change and change is hard. And there's obviously that understanding that change is hard, but if everyone's coming in with the attitude that we're gonna grow and we're gonna build, then those are our ideal clients, right? They're visionaries, but they also have the reality of like, there needs to be a strategy. And really those clients that I would say are the ones that we work with so well, are the ones that are willing to hear some feedback and vice versa. Like, obviously, there, there are going to be things that as much as I understand how nonprofits work, there are nuances to every nonprofit, right? Whether it's the community you're serving, the ethnicity you're serving. And I think what's really important and, and something you touched on is the nature of giving, right? In every different community, there is a different nature of giving. Take the Jewish community, right? Even in every different denomination, there is a different level of giving. And you see that drastically with different nonprofits, depending on the denomination that you're working with. And I think while it's important to understand, you know, how to increase your efficiency and your strategy as a nonprofit, you also have to recognize who your donors are and you have to make sure that you are scaling to your donorship and you're really seeing what is their need and am I actually fulfilling a need that's, that exists or is someone else out there already fulfilling it and I'm duplicating efforts and therefore maybe I need to change what we're doing or maybe I need a shift or maybe we need to combine forces. And I think that's very hard in a nonprofit sector because you have a lot of visionaries that they have an idea in their head and they really know what they want to do. But sometimes it's taking a step back and saying, are there ways I can partner? and be more successful and bring more to the community. And that might mean not doing exactly what I had in mind. And I think that that lends itself the same way to our clients. Like, is there ways to think outside the box and really come together and have that trust? Yeah, I like that. And you mentioned board members. I'm curious if you've had issues where you kind of got stuck trying to implement change because nonprofits tend to have a lot of powerful voices, board members, donors. Is that something that you encounter often? We've definitely encountered that. We've also definitely encountered the opposite. A lot of times these board members are people who are really successful in their fields, be it business, finance, law, and they're also incredibly passionate about this nonprofit. 
And a lot of times they are our biggest champions and they're so excited that we're coming on because they see the value. They see that this executive arm takes increased professionalism so seriously and they know from their own professional lives how important that is. So a lot of times they can be our best partners and they can be the people that sometimes we would go to them and speak to them and go, okay, you know this nonprofit better than I know this nonprofit. I see this. Do you see this? And what what do you think knowing the players and knowing the people? Like if you work with the board members, they can be the biggest advocate of the nonprofit and they that's the beauty of volunteers and and board members is they all come with their own set of skills and their own experiences and they have so much passion for the nonprofit. That's why they're a board member there. Like sometimes it's a hindrance, but more often than not, it's they're the people who are the most passionate and can be the most helpful. That's really nice to hear. It's really special. There are a lot of amazing people who have a lot of their time and I've worked with them as well. And it's it's true. They really can do incredible things if they have people who are willing to listen and, and um, take them up on it. So do you have the practical advice that someone who's listening, who's, let's say, you know, working for a nonprofit or running a nonprofit and is in this stage of they have a lot going on. Everyone is wearing, like you said, 500 hats. They need to scale, but they don't really know what to start. I, I always like to include something really practical that could be implemented like immediately. Anything you would share on that? Like on that end? I think for me, the first one would be is really take a step back and reevaluate your goals. Really look at what you have set for your goals for the year, whether it's the year, whether it's six months, whether it's three months. Have you met them? If yes, were they really actual goals or were they more metrics? And then reevaluating what your new goals are and setting a three, six, and nine and 12 month plan. Just can you go expand a little bit on what you said about it's not actually a goal, it's a metric? <laughs> that, yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves that we want to accomplish something in, in the nonprofit sector. So what we put down as a goal is not really a goal. Like, let's say, let's let's take, for instance, you know, a nonprofit who's trying to increase their donor base, right? So they want to increase their donor base by 100, but they're running a crowdfunding campaign. And so they know <laughs> that they're going to get 100 new donors, but those are those real donors or there's donors that are connected to your current donors or your current people who are invested. So while that's a nice metric and a nice goal, did you truly meet your goal? Or did you create a goal that you knew you were going to meet because it felt good? And sometimes it's a hard reality, right? You want to, part of being in the nonprofit sector is getting that feeling like you're doing good and you're, you're affecting change in the world. And sometimes because we have, everyone who's in the field really tries to, I believe has that mindset and really is coming from a place of, of they want to change and do good for the world and make effective change. Sometimes we also want to have that feel good experience and that feedback is naturally a human, you know, it's, it's so natural. And so therefore we, we put things in place that are kind of, as I said, not really goals. They're metrics that you know you're going to attain, but they haven't really proven anything to you. And you haven't really gotten a hundred new donors because those hundred new donors aren't truly invested in your organization. And I think it's important to be able to, to see the difference. It's also important to understand, like, and I say this often to many of our clients, the level of donor stewardship that you do, and it doesn't mean getting a, sending large gifts. It doesn't mean spending a lot of money. It's about relationship building is so important. And sometimes that is the biggest aspect in the nonprofit sector that's forgotten. And as I said, it's not... It, a lot of times the blame is, oh, I, we don't have the money to invest. We can't send, 
these beautiful, you know, yearly packages. Well, you don't need to spend the money. It's about making the phone calls. It's about knowing when that person is having, you know, a celebration within their family, knowing when there's a life cycle event that you should be a part of and make sure that they know that you're there for them and building a true relationship, not a relationship based on giving and not a transactional relationship. And that's really important because I feel like nowadays everyone's moving so quickly. Everything has become so transactional. And the true leaders in the nonprofit sector that are the most successful are the ones that are building relationships and creating a true, meaningful relationship. Yeah, I yeah, see that as well. I think popularity of crowdfunding campaigns really kind of pushed a lot of other priorities out the window. And I think crowdfunding campaigns can be great when they're integrated as part of a strategy, but when they're used on their own, it's like a crash diet. You just sort of like go in there, raise your money. And then so many of these organizations, they go dark until the next time. And then they'll call me and they'll be like, you know, nobody really knows who we are or what we do or cares. And I'm like, no kidding. All you did was ask for money in a really fun, creative way with a cool video. And then you never followed up and you never connected. And that's the piece that I think is, like you said, it can be really, really powerful being focused yeah. on relationships. I also think it's really important to note that like the relationships are the core of your donor base. It's it's the core of what's going to get the buy-in and it's it's what's going to get those big gifts year in and year out. A lot of times, as we've been like saying over and over again, the heads of these nonprofits are wearing every single hat. They they don't have the time to, in, the, the money to invest. They also might not have the time that goes into everything that Sarah was saying, which is the 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 bread and butter to having a donor relationship is not every transact and not every interaction with them needs to be transactional. Not It can't be transactional, right? You need to be able to also just call them every now and then and say happy new year. You need to be able to call them and have like much more casual conversations. And when you're the person who's in charge of bookkeeping for your nonprofit, even though you're running it, and, and as you were saying, Tivia, you you might walk into a multinational nonprofit and it really is a hole in the wall with one guy behind a desk, right? When you're in that position, you don't have the time to be calling all of your important donors or even all of your donors. Like you just don't have the time to be signing the thank you notes. You're just printing and sending. And when you have the ability to take even two tasks off your desk, suddenly your, your time is opened up for you to be doing the things that only the head of the organization can do, right? You cannot outsource a relationship with your donors. It's impossible. That's insane. So what, the things that you can take off of your desk, the second you take them off of your desk, suddenly your nonprofit's going to grow just because suddenly you have the time to do the things that you know you want to be doing. You know that that's really like what's going to take you to the next level. Absolutely. This was so great. I think you guys gave really, really helpful and practical and like information. Hopefully someone takes seriously and takes start and maybe starts thinking about doing something differently. What would be the best way for someone to contact you if they're interested in learning more? We have a website, executivearm.org. We're also on Facebook, on LinkedIn. We're around. We're, we're pretty easy to find. If you, We're actually a little hard to find. If you Google us, you have to press an executivearm.org because if you oh, Google right. us, you get the executive arm of the government. Okay, I, I, we, can, we can link it in the show notes as well. And final takeaway before we wrap this up, in one sentence, if you can, this is always a challenge. I usually get a paragraph when I ask this question, but if you can get into one, maybe two sentences, what's the main takeaway you want someone who is listening to this to get from a sentence? That's a tough one. I would say reach out and let's talk and see how we can help you. 
That was a good one. I like that. Very practical. Farid and Sarah, thank you so much. It was so nice chatting with you. You too. Thank you, Sylvia. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 40 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tsivia at 40minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 40minds.com.